This is Celebration Church, but it's more than just a building or a church. We have a calling to be a place where people can find a relationship with God instead of religion. A place where freedom is found and acceptance given, and every person can discover their purpose and experience the kind of fulfillment only God can give. Together we will raise, lead, and empower a generation to change the world. Here, Jesus is famous, and all the glory goes to God. This is celebration. This is our family. Welcome home. Good morning. Happy Labor Day weekend to all of you. Welcome to those of you who are joining us online. My name is Becky Schomer. I'm the campus director here at the Green Bay campus. Would you stand with me this morning as we recite the Apostles' Creed? This is our statement of faith and what we believe in here at Celebration Church. We believe in God, the Father Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth. We believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who for us and for our salvation was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead, and on the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the fellowship of believers, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You may be seated. Well, we always pause at this moment in our service to receive today's offering as well. If you've been with us for a while, you know that we no longer pass buckets during the the service time, but if you would like to contribute with check or cash, um, I just want to draw your attention to the envelopes that are in your seat backs. You can just put it in there and drop those with the ushers as you leave this morning. Um, a number of our, of our members of the church have certainly navigated towards digital giving, and I would encourage you to check that out as well. Um, there's just so many ways you can do it in this day and age, right? Um, many of you have signed up for recurring giving through our, our various platforms, and we're so grateful. It helps us, of course, with budgeting and anticipating what's coming in. Um, but you can also continue to just give in the moment. The easiest way to do that, if either with your cash or check, but you can also download the Celebration Church app, and there's just a give button there. It makes it really easy for you. Um, to continue to give those one-time gifts as well. Uh, Please know that we just continue to be so grateful for your generosity and your faithfulness. Um, We just really um, feel so blessed to be able to get to continue doing what it is that God has called us to do because of our partnership with you. Um, I'm gonna jump right into our message this morning. Uh, Pastor Mark clearly is not here today. If you were with us last week, Bishop Sean was here. Um, He is a pastor at a church in Florida, and Pastor Mark is actually at his church this morning, kind of um, returning the favor. So we've just been so delighted by that partnership that he's been making with these other pastors of, of churches that are similar to ours. So we just pray that they're having a really blessed morning down in Florida, and, um, and I'm grateful for the opportunity to be able to stand in today. Um, as I jump into things this morning, we're going to be looking at the book of John chapter 15, and I'm going to start us out partway in at verse 8, where it says this, this is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. And then a little further down in verses 15 and 16, it says, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. 
The Bible is filled with so much, I said this first service, and it's hard for me to say, agricultural imagery. It's such a mouthful for me for some reason. <laughs> I think because we really no longer live in this day and age where agriculture is, is the sustenance. Um, it is our sustenance, don't get me wrong. But it's not our everyday experience, right? But in the day that Jesus lived and in all those thousands of years before him, agriculture was a part of everybody's life. So everybody understood what was required and what, what came to play when it, um, when it involved producing crops or harvesting meat, those kinds of things, because their very livelihood was dependent on it. Clearly today, that's not the case so much for us. Um, we tend to work jobs to pay for those things in, in many cases. Um, and really this idea, our, our attachment and our understanding of the implications of all of these agricultural things um, become a little bit more difficult. But it is harvest time, and so I was feeling a little bit inspired as I was thinking about this message for this week. So I thought I would just start out by asking this question. Um, if you're in the room, and if you're joining us online, you can just drop a little hand emoji or something like that. But if you're in the room and you have grown a garden this year, would you just put a hand up for me real quick? Okay, I want all of you to look around because now you know who you can hit up after service if you need some tomatoes or zucchinis, am I right? Because it is that time of year. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Well, maybe not. I don't know if you really want people to ask you for tomatoes, just, you know, you can say something after service. <laughs> um, when I grew up, my family did not have a garden. I didn't know the first thing about gardens, but my husband's family did. It was just always a part of their family routine. So about 16 years ago, we moved into the house that we live in now, and that house had about an acre and a half of property. So when we moved there, my husband got very excited about this idea to put in a garden. It was like first on his list. Um, painting was a little bit higher on my list, of course. <laughs> but as it, would, um, as it would be, we moved into the house in September, which is not the prime time to put in a garden. So I got my painting done. But once we came around to spring, he was very eager to go outside and get that garden in because it was just part of what, um, what he had done. Now, here's the thing about gardens in Wisconsin. Um, if you've put gardens in, you know this, but for those of you who are joining us online, if you're not from Wisconsin, you may not know this. Here, we don't put the gardens in until the end of May, okay? And then we are literally right on the heels of summer. And my husband is a children's, uh, children's pastor. He's been doing children's ministry for a long time. And when you work in children's ministry, summer is actually a very, very full time. So this year that we put this garden in, we moved right into our very busy time of year. We had four very young children at the time. And for me, absolutely no experience or history of taking care of a garden whatsoever. So in that case, as you can imagine, we ended up with one very neglected garden. <laughs> We definitely did not water it as we should. We definitely did not weed it as we should or really, honestly, anything. But we got to the end of that summer and wouldn't you know it, it produced a harvest. And I just sat back and I thought to myself, wow, God, look at what you've done. I was amazed because I will tell you, I don't get everything right in this faith journey, but I knew where credit was due there and it did not rest with me. <laughs> So I did, I just sat in awe over what he had done. And you know what? It wasn't just the fact that, he, that this fruit grew in our garden. It was this. Did you know that there is a huge difference between a store-bought tomato and a garden-grown tomato? Yeah, I know now. 
<laughs> but I definitely did not know back then. So let me bring you back to my garden, okay? For two years, it grew with minimal attention from my family. I was amazed, I was giddy, I was delighted. I kept just giving God all this credit and this praise for what he was producing. And I'm quite convinced that God was using those two years to teach me something from the agriculture like he so often does. And I believe that the lesson was this. There's a truth in 2 Corinthians 5 about when we come to faith. And it says this. It says, so if anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation Everything old has passed away. See, everything has become new. Do you remember when the things of faith were new to you? When you had that aha moment and suddenly when you came to church, the sermons were making sense. They seemed to be speaking right to you. It might be that you suddenly have this tugging during the worship that just wasn't familiar before. You found yourself just wanting desperately to be kind to those people who drive you crazy. Not that you are perfect at it, <laughs> but you wanted to be. There was something that was all of a sudden different. And I feel like that's what God was showing me in those two years of our garden. You see, when we come to faith, he instantly makes us new. There is, there's, there is this certain degree of fruit, if you wanna call it that, that we discover with absolutely nothing else required on our part. But God clearly had more for me to learn from the garden metaphor, and this is why I think he uses agriculture all through the Bible, because let me tell you about year three of the Shomer Garden. That is when the tomatoes began to give us some trouble. If you've grown tomatoes before, do you know what bottom rot is? Ick. It's so terrible, like literally the bottom of your tomatoes turn black and they almost start like decaying from the bottom. I, I, I still don't understand why that happens, but it was the worst. Um, but we also that year had issues with bugs. We had chickens that were like pecking at our tomatoes that hadn't done it before. And even from the very beginning, now we, we would of course water our garden a little bit, but certainly not like we should. But that year, those plants that we had put into the ground like they just weren't doing anything. So we had to get much more diligent. And when I say we, I mean Keith Schomer, God bless him, he is a good man, because um, yeah, he deserves a woo. <laughs> but anyway, we had to water the plants to get them to actually like even start that process of really growing so much more than we had in the two years before. And I found myself thinking, Lord, what's going on? Like, I know you made the plants to bear good fruit. I know that. So, like, why can't they just do that? Do you ever think that sometimes when it comes to your faith life? You find yourself thinking or, I don't know, maybe even saying it out loud. Lord, I know you made me to bear good fruit. And I'm committed to you. So, why can't you just make it? Why can't you just make me kind? Why can't you just make me want to lift my hands? Why can't you just make me trust you with the things that I need to do? Because, you know, that's how we started, where it just seemed like it was there, and, and that seemed like a good deal. <laughs> it seems I had a few things to learn about what makes good fruit. So let's get back to the beginning, shall we? Not to the beginning of this message. I mean the beginning of everything. Genesis chapter two is a retelling of the story of creation. I love that he puts it twice. 
in chapter one and two, because we just know when something's repeated in the Bible, it's there for emphasis. Um, and of course, it, it tells slightly differently. But in Genesis chapter two, it says this. Now, no shrub had yet appeared on the earth and no plant had yet sprung up. For the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth and there was no one to work the ground. Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. Let's not forget that God made the dirt. It was actually on day three. And we know that when he got to the end of day three, when he made that land, he looked at it and he said it was good. Sometimes dirt gets a bad rap. But it actually became the raw material that God uses. He decided to form and fashion his greatest of all creation, which was, of course, the first man. And as you read that account, I don't know about you, but I get so swept into the imagery of God literally taking the dust of the earth, forming it into man, and then breathing his breath of life so that he would come to life. It's pretty awe-inspiring. But I gotta tell you, when I read it then, it really gives me cause to gloss over the next verse. But what it says here is actually pretty important. It says in verse eight, now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east, in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. The Lord God planted a garden in Eden, in Eden, excuse me. The reason that the planting is so significant is because planting is intentional and it is purposeful. Notice that the Lord God did not just go scatter seed in the east to see what would come of it. He planted um, a garden. And then it says he made all kinds of trees to grow out of the ground. Some versions say that God made the trees to spring up. Did you ever stop to wonder why God would choose to grow what he could have simply created already grown? Why plant a garden that's forced to sprout rather than commanding it into existence in full bloom? Let me bring you back to this garden analogy and how it fits into our faith journey. It makes me question, why doesn't God just make us like him once we decide to follow Jesus? Why would he have us go through the process of planting, pruning, weeding, watering, instead of just making us to have fruit of a life that's committed to him? I think it's because he wants better for us than store-bought tomatoes. And he wants better than that for himself too. Let's go back to John chapter 15. This is Jesus speaking. So I'm gonna move up a few verses from where I started the message this morning. Chapter, chapter 15, verse one, Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. Now, in case you don't know this, tomatoes were not native to Israel, so, God, so Jesus would not have been using a tomato analogy <laughs> like I've been using this morning. Um, but what was native to them, one of many crops, of course, was grapes and vineyards. And I know that we have vineyards in this area as well, but I need you to, well, you're probably not surprised. That is like many levels above my gardening capabilities. <laughs> so I'm gonna stick with, with tomatoes. But Jesus, of course, would have been talking about vines and the vineyard. Um, and what I love about this is that Jesus says that he's the vine and the father is the gardener. 
Now we know that God doesn't change. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever, but I just love it when scripture confirms that for us because we know, and it's funny that we don't always see it that way, but from the very beginning, God was the gardener and he continues to be. So let's find out what this gardener does that's gonna produce this, this fruit that we've been told we should bear. It says in verse two, prepare yourselves. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. So in other words, you're pruned if you do have the fruit and you're pruned if you don't have the fruit. There is no avoiding the pruning shears in this, in this journey of faith that we walk through. Now I get cutting off a branch that doesn't produce fruit. That makes good sense to me. But if the goal is to be producing fruit, it totally messes with my head that you would cut off, that you would get rid of that which is giving you what you want, okay? So it seems painful, and I just don't get it. And then let me add insult to injury a little bit, because in the case of the vineyard, in the case of grapevines, there's kind of an interesting thing that goes with that. The proper time to prune branches on a, on a grapevine is in the winter just before spring. So it's just before um, they're about to bud. Now, we've all been there, if you think about this for a second. When you've kind of come through that season, you know those winter seasons in our life where things just seem cold and dark and uncertain, and you start moving into spring, and you just start to realize like, God just seems to be stirring something, and there's a new hope in you. Maybe it's been an opportunity, something that you feel like God has just designed you for, and you're right on the edge of it, and you can just taste it because it's almost right there. And just as it's about to burst forth, the pruning shears, and what was gonna be your breakthrough suddenly feels like a breakdown in your life. We've all had those moments, right? And I'm not saying that it's always the Lord, but here's the thing. When God is pruning, it's likely that we have no idea that he's going about his business of making us more fruitful because the truth of the matter is it feels far more obvious that he seems to be intent on killing us. Am I right? <laughs> he's not, of course, but pruning can feel that way and it can look that way. When those things are removed from our life that seem to be doing something good or leading to someplace good, especially for him, but you need to know that a vine that has been properly pruned leaves almost no evidence of previous growth. It actually looks quite dead. So here's a quick gardening lesson for you. Um, I've learned this quite recently because I'm clearly not a professional garden, gardener. But anyway, generally speaking, a plant will use its resources for one of two things. Either it will take the energy that it has and it will push it to producing vegetation, the stems, the leaves, that kind of thing, or it will take the resources that it has and it will produce fruit, okay? The two tend to work in tension with each other um, and in conflict with each other. So here's the thing, for quality fruit to grow, it has to be supported by quality vegetation, okay? So when the, when the gardener goes and clips off what had looked like it was gonna bud into something, he actually is helping the overall plant to do what it's meant to do, which is to produce quality fruit. Because strength needs to be given first 
to the support, which is the vegetation. So let me put it this way. Um, the challenge of a branch, okay? Now Jesus says he's the vine, we're the branches. Um, the problem with the branch is that to the branch, it feels like its job is just to produce as much fruit as it can. So the more fruit, the better I'm doing. But here's the, that, here's the challenge of that. That is a grocery store tomato mentality. Produce as many as I can, as quickly as I can. But that's not how a gardener looks at things. A merciful gardener is going to prune what was fruitful so that better fruit, sweeter fruit, can grow at the proper time. So let's go back to John, verse three. Jesus says, you are already clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Remember my first experience with gardening? Those couple years when it just seemed like my heavenly gardener was just giving me this fruit. It's actually this. This is what Jesus is talking about. We get that first gust of new when we first come to Christ. We're made new and clean, just like he says. But God has more in store. He has better fruit in store for us. And it requires us to go through the pruning. And it also requires what Jesus will tell us now in verse four. He says this. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Now again, this is Jesus speaking. Now, when he says that apart from me, you can do nothing, he clearly doesn't literally mean nothing. <laughs> Our life existence is evidence of that, right? We all do stuff. We're all capable of doing some good stuff. We're all capable of producing store but quality tomatoes. I don't even know. That's breaking down real quick because I'm saying it in my head. <laughs> So we can do good things even without him. We see a world of people who can do some good. So it's not that those things that he would be talking about, the context of this, of this passage, he's talking about those things that we can't do apart from him. So he's talking about those things that we can't do on our own. He's talking about those things we can't become on our own. If we want those things, we're going to need to remain in him. Now, some translations will use the word abide in this, um, in this passage. So let's take a minute just to understand the nature of abiding. Uh, my Bible dictionary describes it exactly like you would think, okay? So the idea of abiding is just to continue to be present with Jesus. Sounds easy enough, right? The challenge of being human, though, is that we tend to prefer to do things our own way. Have you ever been like set up on a project that you had to work in tandem with somebody? You know, we tend to prefer to find a new partner once the newness kind of wears off because we don't seem to have the ability to imagine that there could actually be some newness to discover by going through sameness. Let me give you a prime example. Um, any of you who are married in the room or maybe heading towards your wedding day, I feel like a bride and a groom, as they stand at the altar on that day, they just think to themselves, oh, nobody knows me better. He knows me so completely, and I know him so completely. 
And if you've been married longer than two days, you know that there is absolutely no truth in that statement. <laughs> I think sometimes God lulls us so that we'll continue to like move in those directions, right? But if you've been married for any period of time, you know that this process of discovering your spouse, and it doesn't even have to be marriage, any friendship, relationship, siblings, children, any of those relationships that we've been in, there is this continual process of discovering new layers all the time. So imagine how much more with the infinite, eternal God. My goodness. So this idea of abiding in Christ, it's meant to kind of compel us toward this curiosity of sorts, okay? Um, to, to better understand like those things that we, we discover in relationship, that we should be discovering those things in Jesus. There's character and there's complexity that we just can't even begin to fathom. And, and what we did fathom in the beginning, we realize as we get down the road in this journey that, wow, there's, there's so much that's different. I thought I knew, but there's so much more. And so it goes all of the time. So, you know, and God has this really great way, I love this, and, and he talks about this in the Bible. He has this really great way of slowly but surely, like progressively revealing himself if we stay in the pursuit. And that's what it means to abide or to remain with him. But if you're thinking to yourself this morning, that, that sounds well and good, but I, I don't really get practically what that means. Like, how, how does this look? How do, I, how do I pursue him so I can remain in him? They still start to feel like they're just, they're, they can become these, um, these, these phrases that we use but don't always grab hold of. Um, so if, if that feels a little like uncertain in how you navigate that, can, can I encourage you with this suggestion? Next Sunday and then the Sunday after that, we're gonna have the, our, our small group expo happening here at the campus. Um, you can check out our group offerings online as well for those of you who are joining us that way. And here's the thing. We have groups of people who get together and they love to study the Bible or, or read some Christian books so they can better understand who Jesus is, what it means to walk with him, and things like that. And I, I know that that feels very intimidating to some people, but please, please know that our groups are structured in such a way that wherever you're at, we're gonna meet you right there. So you needn't feel intimidated. But the beauty of our, our small group structure at the church is also this. We have some groups that are really more focused around relational things. So they're, they're not studies, they're not that kind of thing. They're, they're just meant to, um, all of our groups are meant to connect you, of course, with other people. But in that space too, it provides you with the opportunity to just see how other people are, are, are trying to walk this out. People like you who are just trying to figure out, like, how, how do I remain? in him, and those are great places to, to place yourself as you're just trying to learn and discover what this means and what it looks like to genuinely abide in him. Know that none of us, of course, do it perfectly, but we are all capable of it because if the nature of abiding is to stay present with Jesus, then clearly he's in it too. So in our journey through Jesus' words in John chapter 15, we're brought back to the verse that I started with, verse eight, which says, this is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. It is for the Father's glory that we're supposed to bear this fruit. This is no small matter. 
The fruit of our lives makes a difference. Now you might be sitting here and thinking, I keep throwing that word around, and it is a metaphor, of course, so maybe you don't know even at this point, like, what does this fruit look like? What kind of fruit am I supposed to have growing in my life? Well, I want you to know the New Testament is filled with passages that talk about the fruit of a life that's, that's committed to Jesus. The most common, I'm not gonna read them all for you, I promise, because for the sake of time, <laughs> we'll keep moving. But the most common one, of course, comes out of Galatians. Many of you have probably heard this one where it says, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. But there are other passages that talk about the words that we speak being fruit. The way that we praise and worship, that's fruit. The choices that we make, that's fruit. And it goes on and on and on. But I wanna make sure that we don't overlook the fruit that he mentions in verse 16 of this passage. Again, it's the one we read at the beginning where Jesus says, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Jesus has appointed all of us to bear fruit that will last. And the only thing that lasts are those things that are eternal. So he wants us to be a part of building his kingdom of believers. This fruit business, I hope you get it, it matters. It matters in a really big way. And it requires some really carefully tended and sweet fruit. And it requires us to get past the grocery store mentality, okay? Because remember, grocery store tomatoes are produced by people who want to grow as many as they can as quickly as they can. That's what I wanted in my garden. And if I'm honest, I kind of still would like that in my garden. (laughs) But God has this way of showing us truth. But the other side of this is, it's also what we often want in our faith walk. We want quick results and minimal effort. But quick and easy doesn't produce the kind of fruit that lasts or that truly glorifies God. That kind of fruit requires us to to submit ourselves to the process of the gardener. And a seasoned gardener knows that grown fruit doesn't guarantee sweetness. It's tending to the fruit that makes it so sweet. So I'm gonna invite our musicians to come back and our ushers can start to get ready for communion. But there's one more verse that I do want to share with you out of this passage. It's right in the middle of the teaching about the vine and the branches. And Jesus said this, Verse 11, I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Ours is a God of great joy. I think that's why in the Old Testament when the Israelites would be taking in their harvest, he commanded them, literally commanded them to hold festivals during those times of year. There are at least three different occasions where God said you are to have this festival, this time of feast for me. And in each one as he talks to them about it, he tells them that they are to be altogether joyful. So there's a bit of a party in this concept of picking the fruit. There's partying and the picking of good fruit. And I want you to understand that it is meant to be shared with community. So as we turn our hearts to this time of communion, Let's not lose sight of the fact that when Jesus rose from the dead, he became the first fruits of all of us who were gonna come after him. Nobody encountered more pain than Jesus, but there is nothing sweeter 
than the promise of eternity. So let's bow our heads this morning and let's just set our hearts right as we get ready to receive the communion. Heavenly Father, before we partake of the bread and the cup this morning, in obedience to the scriptures, we pause now to examine ourselves. If we have sinned against you in thought, word, or deed, by what we've done or by what we've left undone, if we've not loved you with our whole heart, if we've not loved our neighbors as ourselves, or if we have simply not remained with you. For the sake of your son, Jesus, who gave himself as a sacrifice for our sins, have mercy on us. Forgive us of all of our sins. Strengthen us in all goodness. And by the power of your Holy Spirit, keep us in eternal life, that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Now, as our heads are still bowed, if you're here this morning and you haven't experienced that garden experience yet, if that new and fresh fruit sounds a bit foreign, but it sounds inviting, I want you to know that you can start in your own journey with Jesus today. All you need to do is quietly right now, in your own words, ask him to forgive you for your sins and invite him to come into your life.